everyone, welcome back to my podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about consideration and intention to create legal relations. So this is just some research I have done into contract law and whether two of them are really better in creating legal relationships. So the English law's current rule for the formation of a contract requires both consideration and an intention to create legal relations, which we can shorten to ICLR. The necessity and desirability of the consideration requirement have been subject to debate, but although some may argue that consideration's purpose is separate from that of ICLR, the concept of ICLR itself can be interpreted expansively to cover the justification of a contract's enforceability, which is created through consideration. Consideration has already been practically diminished through exceptions to it being carved out one after another. But although the doctrine has been weakened and could be subsumed by an expansively interpreted concept of ICLR, it should and must persist due to its importance for the layman. This is to signify the entry into legal relations. Now let's talk about the purpose of consideration itself. The giving of consideration signifies reciprocity, as both parties give something in return for something else. Chen Wishart argues that this reciprocity is what later justifies contractual remedies, according to the expectation measure if the contract is unperformed since the party has given something in order to be afforded the benefit of those remedies. Atiyah agrees with this justificatory role of consideration, but he interprets the concept of consideration more broadly as a reason for enforcing the promise. He also includes in those reasons vitiating factors, which he sees as part of the general rule of consideration and not merely exceptions to it. Such a broad interpretation of the concept of consideration is undesirable, as it obscures the fact that the questions whether there was a consideration and whether there is a reason for not enforcing the promise, despite the existence of consideration, are two completely different questions. Consideration is therefore to be interpreted narrower, but nonetheless as serving a very important justificatory role. Now let's talk about the purpose of ICLR or intention to create legal relations. Intention to create legal relations serves a much more diminished role in the current English law, even though it remains a requirement for the formation of a contract. It can often be inferred through the giving of consideration, but it becomes important in distinguishing domestic cases where no actual contract was formed from real contracts. Cases such as Balfour v Balfour are subject to the presumption that there is no intention to create legal relations through family arrangements. The concept of ICLR therefore ensures that the court's time is not wasted upon disputes that are primarily familial and not legally disputed by asking whether a reasonable person would consider that there was actually an ICLR. This can be seen in Carril v Carbolock Smoke Bell and Company.
So now let's talk about the reduced practical effect of consideration. In practice, the concept of consideration has also been diminished significantly. While its justificatory role, as pointed out by Chen Wishart, would suggest that the consideration would have had to be something of value in order to serve its justifying effect, this is actually not the case. Anything, regardless of its value or non-value, can serve as consideration. This can be seen in Chapel v. Nestle. As long as it is anything real in the eyes of law, which can also be seen in Ariel v. Constain Civil Engineering. Subject to a few exceptions, such as past performance, which is Rokoska v. Thomas, and a similar sum in satisfaction of a larger debt, which can be seen in Pilnell's case, not constituting consideration, almost anything of little to no actual value can actually serve as consideration. Consideration's own justificatory role is there is a lot that is less justified since it is a clear matter of logic why the handling over a worthless item should give you a contractual action, but the intention to be bound and to make it a contract enforceable should not. The thing given as consideration may lack actual value and has been shown by the practical analysis of Williams v. Roughrew Burrows and Nichols for consideration for the variation of contracts. It is hard to see what the promisee gains from being promised the same thing again as he has already had the right to enforce that promise. Chen Wishart argues he gains performance interest since that is not actually protected by the current law and practice. But this argument becomes weak in the light of the fact that there is nothing stopping the promisor from defaulting from the new agreement and either requesting another modification or for the promisee being left with damages instead of receiving the performance interest. He therefore does not really gain anything new. Consideration has been further weakened by it not being needed in all cases. Deeds do not require consideration and third parties who may enforce their benefit under a contract under the Section 1 of the Contracts and Rights of Third Parties Act 1999 are also not subject to the doctrine of consideration. Another case where the doctrine is essentially disregarded is the promisee estoppel. It would be unconscionable for the promisor to walk away from his promise after the promisee detrimentally relied on it. The promise may be enforced by the absence of consideration, and this has been precedented in Collier v. Wright. C.T. Terence Peter. So does this mean that we should abandon the doctrine of consideration? While the argument I laid out above is easily understandable to legal professionals, it's an impractical solution for the layman. The layman does not consider himself with the justification of a contract's enforceability. He just needs to know whether what he promises is something he could be sued for upon non-performance.
Law itself is a social institution, and the layman gets most of their knowledge and their legal knowledge from the culture that surrounds them, in which we have been influenced by the laws that we are subject to. Given the lack of formality required for the formation of a contract, for example regarding the formation of oral contracts such as in Wells and Devani, the handling over of something is the necessary warning needed to inform the layman that he is entering into legal relations. Laymen hardly ever think to themselves, I will now enter into legal relations. The act of handing over something therefore signifies and serves to signify to them what they are entering into and also helps the courts to see whether or not there was actually ICLR or intention to create legal relations on the part of the parties. The absence of the consideration requirement for deeds is justified, as there the formality requirements for deeds to signify to the layman that he is entering into legal relations. The exceptions of promissory estoppel and the exceptions under the 1999 Act can be justified since they can make contract law more practical for everyday life. The Rofi exception, on the other hand, does not serve to help the layman understand that he is entering into legal relations, as he is not given something new. It is therefore doubtful, in my opinion, and through my research, whether the exception should have been carved out of consideration. So, in conclusion, are two really better? The doctrine of consideration could be subsumed by an expansively interpreted concept of ICLR, but doing so is undesirable due to the social role consideration performs. Such an argument is however time-specific, and the impact of exceptions to the doctrine of consideration, such as the 1999 Act and promissory estoppel, may be that the layman adopts and this is his argument, which will no longer uphold in the future.